Welcome to the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Sponsored by Reinhold Flooring. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, lunchtime, middle of the day. Scott Mosby here, Home Improvement. Phone lines wide open, all for you to call in with any questions, answers, favorite products you have. 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. Call in, let's get going, and we'll get these questions and answers going right here on CAMWEX. My name is Scott Mosby. I own Mosby Building Arts. We were founded in 1947. We're still cooking. We operate under what's called the design build method and that was really instituted by my father back in the early 80s because frankly every decision starts with a design conversation and I'll take you through that as we go throughout the hour here for hour uh, two on the Camwex Home Improvement Show uh, so frankly what your choice is what you're trying to achieve it's important to have a specific goal well I want to do my kitchen well that may mean I just want new countertops and a new floor. Uh, it could mean I need a new window, new countertops and floor. Well, countertops, then do you want to, when you're pulling out the old sink and the faucet, do you want a new sink and faucet as well with those? Oh, sure. I want a new sink and faucet. Okay. Well, now you need a new disposer. Uh, oh, well, or we put in the old one. Oh, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, so all the advice and conversations around what is it you're trying to achieve generally means I'm trying to get all those building materials on the the same or similar maintenance cycle so I don't have to replace the disposer three years after spending a bunch of time, money, and inconvenience to get my countertops done. Or I want a kitchen remodel, which means I want this wall to disappear so the house opens and flows better into the family room. And likewise, there's a small, you know, dry bar up there on the other side of the room. I want to bring that over for a wet sink or wet bar in somewhere there. Anyway, all the things that matter, the conversations that go along with starting a project. We can talk about that here on CAMWEX if you'd like. Uh, If you're into doing your own work, uh, do-it-yourself DIY is the acronym for that, do-it-yourself DIY, or uh, self-furnish install is something, a buzzword in the industry, SFR, SFI, self-furnish and restore, and and, and install is the I. Now you're seeing more and more Build for rent homes. Build for rent homes. So what we're discovering economically, at least as the uh, National Association of Home Builders reports, that homes for rent are more popular uh, because baby boomers are entering the retirement ages and oftentimes having a home, a, a large home that is suitable for raising a family is not necessarily conducive for maybe two occupants uh, in a small footprint of the house. So now what we're seeing is all of these homes and, and the rise of uh, Airbnb, uh, VRBO, Airbnb, Airbed and Breakfast, or VRBO, Vacation Rental by Owner, VRBO. So a lot of these homes that are competing and taking housing from hotels are putting you and I renting homes in neighborhoods around the various areas, maybe closer to the people we're going to visit in a town. Uh, however, that is now... Uh, competing with home buyers, young families wanting to buy a house and start a family and stay in that neighborhood, contribute to the community. Long and the short of it is builders are now discovering that building communities and homes 
made not necessarily to sell, but to rent for short terms, um, are very popular, especially in the retirement areas, Texas, Florida, Arizona, New Mexico, Southern California, those areas. So build for rent, BFR, build for rent. Well, we used to do apartment complexes, and those are very popular as well because they're already there. They're more affordable than building a new. But maybe Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, whether starting out in a young family or later retirement years and want their money back out of the family home and go to a rental format. So now both the young and the older parts of home buyers, what used to be home buyers, are now home renters. So BFR, build for rent, at something like 8 to 10% of all new homes built are built to rent, not to sell. Um, because capital, but coming up with a big down payment as the house price goes up and up and up, you know, used to be, you know, 186000 was the average price of a home. And then 10 years later, it's 240000 And then 10 years later, it's 310000 Now we're up to somewhere in the upper threes. And for a while there in the low 400s was the average price of a, of a new home. Or, and, and because they kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, now what we're finding is the build for rent is, you know what, now that we've got all these building codes, all these zoning ordinances, all these uh, home builders that are able to build a bigger home for a better price or bigger price, bigger is not always better. So now we're in this reset, reset time where, wait a minute, I don't want a bigger home. I'm just starting out. I just got married. I just want a home. But I don't think I want an apartment. I don't want to live in a large group setting where I listen to my neighbor's TV at 10 o'clock at night through the adjacent. Well, okay, I want a single family. I want my own house. Okay, you rent your own house. So just be aware, uh, 8 to 10% of all new homes on the market today are for renters. Uh, and it's growing. Anyway, so you're hearing a lot more. So my point being that be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. So we have neighborhoods that want to be more exclusive. They want their property values to go up. They want to attract uh, people that can afford to pay those property taxes to the city. The city can then do better services. Well, then you get the not-in-my-backyard NIMBY because what happens when you run a good city when you attract the people with a plan, then you wind up attracting people that are willing to invest in the neighborhood, willing to invest in their homes, uh, like the security that comes from higher property taxes, and you wind up pricing out a segment of that community, uh, most dramatically shown in retirement communities, again, Florida, uh, um, Texas, the southern states, primarily on the east coast. For the west coast, it's southern California, New Mexico, Arizona, things like that. So as you make a better town, you raise the property values. As you raise the property values, you raise the property taxes, make the schools better, better place for families, better place. All of a sudden, now the average prices come back around to the average price of the new home that that new home in those better neighborhoods is 700, 800,000, a million, whatever number it's going to be. And you're really, uh, and it may be because of an intentional strategic plan by the city fathers, city planners of, well, we need to have better services in our town. So there you go. 
as you do that, you pull people out of the more urban areas, and uh, you're then bar- you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Uh, so uh, that's kind of the zoning ordinance and city planning, and it's happening. And this is not just in our area; this is all over the country. Believe it or not, it's all over the world because the population is changing, the ages of the population is changing. Anyway, I'll I'll get off my thing, but that that's kind of um, I I watch these systems because I'm a, a you know, I'm a business business person. I'm looking for systems and trends that are unmet. So are you, uh, and, and remodeling is a great business because frankly, we're home recyclers. So do we really want to tear down a house and send it to the dump and all of the um, destroying of value of those already harvested building that we already cut down the trees, we cut up the lumber, we did the lumber, we even assembled it into two-by-fours. So home remodeling, to me, is kind of home recycling. So it feels good to keep a good character-laden home in usually a really good neighborhood. So we build new homes where the old homes already exist. So we're looking for a good school district. We're looking for a good lot that has a nice view, good neighborhood, kids to play with for the young families, or a great park that uh, retired people and young families can fix. So anyway, that's kind of what Mosby Building Arts does and why, because we are meeting the demand of, you know, I, I don't want to buy a new home. A new home is 45 minutes away from here. I want to live here. This is where my family is, my church, my synagogue, my grocery store. All my social friends are around here. So you stay. We build a new home, and that's called remodeling. Home improvement. Well, off of my stump now, Scott Mosby here on KMOX. We're going to talk about all sorts of things around here. Uh, 314-436-7900. Bring on your phone calls. Let's get them going. Take a short pause and come back for more here on KMOX. This is the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Sponsored by Reinhold Flooring. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, Home Improvement, KMOX, Scott Mosby, at your service, 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. Let's talk about any issues important to you, any products, projects, things that you've got ahead of you that you're trying to take care of business, if you will, 314-436-7900. Uh, let's go to my friend and talk with Henry. Hey, Henry, good afternoon. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help, sir? Okay, question on a load bearing wall in the basement. I need to expand my man cave. Okay. Now, my roof trusses run uh, east and west, and this wall also runs east and west. However, it's like about uh, six inches set away from the main load bearing beam, and it was put in by the third owner. So does that technically clear it as a non not being a low bearing wall because it was added later? Uh, well, let me ask a few more questions. I'm a little sketchy here, so allow me to catch up with you here. Uh, what is the shape of your roof? Is it a gable roof where you have a triangle on each end of the house? Uh, trying no, to it just has that. two slopes. Does it just have two <laughs> slopes, front and back? Yeah, yeah, it's just two. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that, that, that's called a gable roof because of that end triangle that gets created there. So typically on a gable roof here, Henry, then uh, if, it's, if it's roof trusses, 
Um, you can't quite tell, but the front wall of your house will be load-bearing where the downslope roof comes. The rear wall of your house where that rear uh, roof uh, come downslope. So the front and the rear are, gen- are always load-bearing on gable truss, uh, great gable trusses. Uh, how old is your house? When was it built? Fifties. Uh, I don't think it's a roof truss. That's a conventionally uh, framed roof, so uh, that's why oh. I ask. Yeah, roof okay, trusses. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me not being the expert, I just threw that one in there. No, that's fine. Well, you, you know, you're using the word that makes sense to you. So uh, that's a conventional. That means that the center wall is also load bearing because back in the 50s, we were just using <clears throat> ceiling joists and roof wrap, you know, lumber. And lumber can only span so long before it gets too long and it fails because it, it's just trying to go too far to carry stuff up. So your house and your basement beam, anything going the long distance of your house, front wall foundation, center wall beam, and rear wall foundation, all three of those are load-bearing in the 1950s. Is that okay. helpful? So, but but any added walls since then are not then. Generally, not um, unless it's an involved build roof. But uh, where where are you located? Where's the house? It's in uh, Wood River, Illinois. Okay, uh, that's conventionally framed. Uh, yeah. Typically, uh, unless you have a really grand house, uh, generally it's just that center beam. Most are you talking about walls added in the basement? Yeah, they're just they were they were sided like I said by the third owner. He was a kind of a yuppie kid, computer guy, got into race cars, and so he just added a room where he could build some small design projects for his racing. Yeah, I'm ninety percent sure those are not load bearing walls. Um, that not really holding now. Not load bearing doesn't mean they don't support the floor, uh, because if you've ever walked through a dining room and there's a china cabinet, and it has china in it, floor joists all are designed to have a bending amount, or what's called deflection. So if you walk with a heavy foot through the dining room, boom, 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 the china will go. So that means that the floor joists are actually sagging under the foot load. If you put a non-load-bearing wall from the basement underneath it, maybe right in the middle of those floor joists, you're going to solidify and take the flex or deflection out of that, you see? So if you pull that wall out, which I think you can, you might have more floor bounce. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Because everything holds something up, even if, it's, even if it's just the top plate of the two-by-four wall they just built. You know what I mean? Okay, I was just worried because I, I opened up the wall a little bit and looked in there. All I could see is this, the two-by-fours where he framed it up. And there's no there's no additional overhead beam, so I thought he just slapped that wall in there, and I thought, well, I can rip that bugger out then. Okay, let me give you an even easier way. You know what the floor joists are, the things down in the basin that you look yeah. up and you see the boards? Yeah. Anything running the same direction of those is not load-bearing. Oh, that's I'm good, 90, man. That's 90% sure. I mean, without some weird architectural point load thing but i'm pretty confident to say that uh, and once you pull the drywall off you can look at the framing and you can pretty much tell whether this thing is a load-bearing wall or not because it's kind of built with a lick and a promise all right one quick question if i may on another one okay. uh i i tore up a i cut out a piece of carpet in my living room and it looks like the original flooring is there 
and it is beautiful. I mean, the sheen is all intact and everything. So I'm thinking of ripping this carpet up now. My main problem is I got the old squeaky floor syndrome. Is there a way to quiet the original wood floor once I pull the carpet without drilling into the surface? Nope, just put carpet back over it. That may be why they put the carpet over it back back in the fifties you know the the you know all those beautiful hardwood floors that you and I love today that was old that was it was everywhere everybody had it because the whole state of Missouri and Illinois were filled up with red and white oak you know trees, so it was we had trees coming out of our ears, we made it into hardwood floor well. Then so much, too much of a good thing's not so good. Everybody's like, well, now we have that new carpet stuff, and it, it's a quieter floor. It'll take some of the floor squeak. The floor still squeaks. We just can't hear it so much. Let's do that new carpet stuff because that's what is really. So people in the 50s, 60s, and even early 70s, we put carpet over some of the most beautiful floors and woodworks, and we painted walnut, oak, um, hickory, beautiful woods because we wanted to brighten them up because all those woods and and wood finishes got old and dark and we got tired of the dark. So uh, frankly, one of the big revitalizations that happened in the eighties, even to today is pulling those carpets off and refinishing those hardwood floors. But I promise you, if they squeak now, they'll squeak even more later. That's just part of wood floors, which is kind of why carpet got put down in, you know, half those times. It's just a squeaky floor, quiet it down. Because I love that color and that sheen in the wood. It looks, it just, it's super. I just hate yeah. to keep that carpet over it. Well, you and, I mean, it, the biggest trend in the last 30 years has been uncovering those beautiful floor. Because not only that, if you and I go out and we buy a hardwood floor today, we're into second growth and third growth. In the 50s and the 40s and the 30s, those were original trees that had never been harvested by the lumber industry or or forestry so they were perfect so getting a clear hardwood floor with no knots in it back in the 30s 40s and 50s that was easy so when we buy hardwood to piece in to to you know say you say okay scott i want to refinish all these floors we're going to redo the kitchen i want hardwood in my kitchen too can you yeah we can do that so we buy a whole bunch of new floor that's just like your old floor but it has knots in it because I can't get those trees that God made, you know, it planted in 1890. They're not around anymore. We have the younger versions that come with knots and all the other things. We're into less good quality lumber. Wow. So there's no, there's like, there's no aftermarket strappings or anything I can do from the basement side, perhaps? Oh, yeah. There are a lot of, th- honestly, the best thing you can do for a hardwood floor is raise the humidity. Uh, because dry wood shrinks when dry wood shrinks then the tongue and the groove moves away from each other and then they rub back and forth and they create create squeaks the boards slide back and forth on the wood underneath that and the wood on top of the floor joist slides so a wood structure um, squeaks just does okay well careful what you ask for brother you just might get it (laughs) (laughs) yeah Hey, but you need to put beautiful. out a series of books, man. Oh, I, you know what? I, I've been offered uh, syndication on radio and all sorts of things. And you know what? I just like St. Louis, and, and I'd rather just talk to my neighbors than, you know, write a book. So, yes, I could, and no, I won't. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Nice compliment, though. 
All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks, Henry. Take care. A lot of fun there. And that honestly, that's why I like doing this show, because I like to help. So, you know, why have I done this for 28 years? Well, you know what? My father started out. He wanted to help people. He went into business of helping people. He thought he did it in a different way with better combination of skills and materials and we're still doing it but the real reason I get up in the morning and and I would challenge all of you you all like to help we like to make the world a little better we like to feel like we you know made a difference well KMOX has offered me that opportunity you know so that's kind of why I like doing this Uh, let's go to Mike hey Mike good morning brother how are you this fine day how can I help you doing doing okay Scott got a question about uh, saving a few bucks on the gas and electric bills Uh uh-huh got a House built in the 30s, brick. Uh, basement is, uh, the footprint's about 30 by 30, 35 by 35, something like that. Okay. The basement registers are closed. I don't heat the basement. Okay? Right. Should I heat the basement? Will it make it any more comfortable? It's using up more heat, more loss. Uh, what, what's, what's your guess on uh, doing that? And I also thought about insulating the uh, ductwork in the basement with the uh, self-stick uh, bubble wrap stuff they've got. Yeah, yeah. So well, go go from there. I think I gave you enough. I you, <laughs> I don't need to tell you anymore. You got plenty of ideas right now, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I've got a pretty good idea what your house is. What is it you're trying to do? Are you trying to make the first floor more comfortable, or do you want to make both floors more comfortable, the basement and the main floor? Main goal is save a few bucks. If it becomes more comfortable, that's secondary they they just okay. kicked up uh you know about a 10 or 15 percent on my uh budget on both both bills you know Wowzer. just just trying to see if see what we could do okay uh general um general uh answer to your question is uh heat and cool only the first floor the basement was designed to be what's called semi-conditioned, and your first floor of that house was designed to be fully conditioned. So semi-conditioned means you're in by you're in a basement, but you don't really heat and cool it. It gets kind of heat, gets kind of warm and cool because the ductwork leaks. Uh, Department of Energy uh, reports that uh, metal ductwork leaks about 30%. So metal to metal joints, you know, are just not tight. Um, if you can get a duct sealant, uh, which is kind of an ugly version of uh, smearing mud adhesive all over the joints of your ductwork, looks kind of funky and makes the next buyer nervous. Uh, if you can wipe the joints and use the metal aluminum tape, the duct tape on it, like metal to metal, anything you do to caulk and seal and confine the warm air in your ductwork to keep it in so it gets delivered as close to 100% to the bedroom that it's going to or the kitchen it's going to or the living room because what you're doing is 30% of your dollars are leaking into your basement just because you have metal ductwork. Yeah, yeah. I've got them foil taped. Perfect. Uh, uh, you know, got all those, the joints I can reach and uh, got those sealed up. Yeah, yeah. Now, that will... 
uh, as you do that, it'll do, that's efficient. You're delivering your dollars where you want to get them. Uh, don't open yep. your registers in the basement because more space, let's say that you've got a thousand square feet times eight foot ceilings or nine foot. So you've got 8,000 cubic feet or square feet of boxes. If you do the basement, you now are trying to heat and cool 16,000 cubic feet. So yep. doubling your load will double, not quite double your dollars, but it's going to cost you a lot more to open those registers in the basement. You following me so far? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Now, what that will do is that will make your floors colder because you're not leaking heat into your basement, which warms the hardwood or the wood floors on your house. That's why people have, that's why the previous caller, you know, Henry was like, I want to do this, you know, uh, I want to get rid of this carpet. Well, the carpet was kind of an insula. I mean, a carpet really is a layer of insulation, both for sound and temperature. So we covered up some of nature's most beautiful hardwood in doing that. So the point being that the more, now the next thing I'm going to ask is that you go to your uh, electrical outlets, especially in a brick home, uh, your light switches, uh, your light boxes yep. uh, up in the ceiling, because in the 30s and the 50s, we did not build houses tight. I mean, in, energy was cheap. You know, it was it, it didn't cost much to heat and cool a house. So we didn't really build them very tight. So the air leakage, which comes between your foundation and your bricks all the way around your basement, if you go down there, six seven o'clock in the morning when it's light outside still dark in your basement any light you can see caulk that up seal that up uh, on your electrical outlets on exterior walls and interior walls because the two by four plates go up into the attic they drill holes and they run the wires down but we never in the 30s sealed up those holes so you can get in a heavy you know say it's 40 mile an hour wind outside you're going to get an eight mile an hour wind inside blowing out of your electrical outlets light switches and light fixtures make sense Yes, Snappy, I've got those. We had a uh, blower door test done a few years ago. Oh, uh, baby, you're the man. And uh, and they, you know, they had the, we had most of that stuff. Uh, I went by, Scott, I read the Mother Earth News back in 1975, and they had all of those tips during the uh, oh, energy yeah. crisis. So, yeah. so. <laughs> well, congratulations to you is the good news. You're doing the right things. The bad news, brother, is you took off all the low-hanging fruit. Anything easy to get, if you blower door tested that house, you got it. <laughs> you're down well, You're down into uh, heavy lifting to save money now. Well, well, if, if, if that's the, I feel good that we've done all of that. And, and if you that you know, you're the expert. So if you're saying I've done the best and then that's, that's good enough for me, Scott. Thank you. I appreciate your show. Well, thanks for doing a blower door test. That, that is the acid test of really measuring. I mean, if you want to know how tight your house is, you know, stick a big vacuum cleaner on it. See how it leaks. You'll find out <laughs> way to go. There was uh, it was a program through uh, Spire, I think, and yeah. it was only a hundred bucks. It was ch- yeah. it was cheap. I mean, for for what they found, you know. So, but again, Scott, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Mike. Well, stay tuned here throughout the hour. I'm going to tell you the story of how those blower door tests kind of went away, if you will. They're very rare now today. For all of all the great things that came and went, it saddens me that we don't really have a lot of. Um, uh, house testers with blower door tests and duct blaster wow. to find out how much uh, all that all that has kind of gone by the wayside for economic reasons. So, wow, that's too bad. Yeah, it is. All, all right, right I'll tell you. Thanks yeah, a lot, Scott. 
Thanks, Mike. Good luck, brother. Scott Mosby, right, Home Improvement. Bye-bye. Take care. We're going to take a short pause and come back for more on KMOX. This is the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Sponsored by Reinhold Flooring. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, Home Improvement, Scott Mosby wrapping up Hour 2 of the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Stay tuned, top of the hour, 1 o'clock, brings up your retirement professionals. 2 o'clock here on KMOX, business of family business, the business of family business. Next up, let's go to the phone lines here, and that is for you, 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. We've got time for a few more phone calls. Next up, let's talk to Greg. Hey, Greg, Scott Mosby here. How can I help? Uh, yes. Good afternoon, Scott. Um, Thank you. I've got a yeah. question uh, concerning which would be better to finish this project. I've got an older home built in 1963. It's a two-story home. The, the okay. first half has some brick, but the front little porch was pulling away from the from the brick. So it's it's just a small little porch, maybe four feet long and two and a half feet wide, one okay. step down to ground level, and I, I noticed that it was pulling away and there was a little water coming in. So I, I used a, a sealant, I guess it was, um, and some foam backer rod to, to put in there, mm-hmm. and and I used this, but the job isn't finished. I, I still have about an inch to go, and now I'm rethinking it, and I'm thinking, should I have used mortar, one of those uh, mortar uh, I, I, I think Sacrete makes that mortar that you can just put in the caulking gun and, and squirt that mortar in, and that would actually match the concrete better, or should I stay with the gray caulk? I, I don't know what's better to keep the water out, the gray caulk or the the cement uh, that you, you'd put on with a caulking gun. Okay. Uh, the cement is better for a one-inch gap. So that's the filler because to to put a one inch thick caulk, you're going to be 50 bucks. You know, you're going to spend a lot of money. The good news here is the best water sealant, way better than concrete, is your caulk. And if you can use your Vulcan or urethane, one part urethane, like polyurethane, but it's only one part urethane, this is the stuff that, you know, a 10 ounce tube is $8 or a 30 ounce tube is, you know, $25 or something. That's the stuff to use. But what you need is a little bit of river sand. River sand is gray in color. So that's Mississippi. When we say river sand, that's Mississippi River. It's brown and gray. If I say Merrimack sand, that's an orange. So you remember the orange little pebbles or the orange sand that comes out of the Merrimack River. It's a different mine um, deposit. Well, What happens is when you caulk that one-inch gap, and I would fill it with a urethane caulk, one inch deep is a big deal. I mean, how how deep is that thing? Uh, is about real- uh, 18 inches. Wow. Uh, well, I would I would use a rubber uh, foam backer rod and bring it up to within about half an inch, maybe five-eighths of an inch. So it's five-eighths okay. of an inch deep. And then uh, clean, and and this is really clean it out. So before you do that, clean it out with a wire brush, real dry. If you have to wipe something with a liquid, use like a uh, rubbing alcohol because alcohol tends to evaporate rapidly and doesn't leave the concrete wet like water does. Um, And a urethane is a solvent base. It's not 
latex. It's not a water-based sealant. So the uh, urethane would be the better choice to uh, stick to this concrete stuff. But when you're done, very dry river sand, you caulk it up to just about even. And instead of troweling it or thumbing it off with your fingers, take a little bit of that very dry river sand and sprinkle it on there and just brush it around so that it, and press it into that caulk and just leave it alone. So it's going to look like you have a big pile of river sand on top, but press it in just a little bit. You don't want to get this stuff on your fingers, but that sand will embed itself into that big, wide uh, gray caulk. And, and once that caulk seals or, or cures, I mean, then that'll hold the sand. You just take a whisk broom or a brush and you just brush it off. And all of a sudden you've got this gray finished sand, the same color as the concrete right there. And yet you still have the quality of a silica or a urethane caulked joint. Right. Right. How about that? And if you're not so confident about it, you can take a piece of cardboard and just put a blob of this caulk out and just put the sand on it and play with it and see what happens. So you can test and you can practice a little bit on disposable cardboard. Right, right. Perfect. Well, I, I certainly appreciate the advice. Yeah, well, make sure it's really dry. And this time, I mean, with all the rain we're getting, you know, going down to, you know, one of the, and it's usually the bricklayer supplier guys, you know, F.W. Clemens was one, you know, old time and, you know, Southside Bill, a lot of these areas that would sell sand and gravel and mortar for the bricklayers and tuck pointers, you know, like the Morelli guys where they buy it, they'll have this river sand because, you know, the tuck pointers know what color sand they want to get this kind of result. Yes, yes. Excellent. Well, you have an excellent show. Thank you so much. Thanks. Glad to help. All right. Good luck, Greg. It's it's actually tougher than I make it sound. So if you get it looking pretty good, you need to high five yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate the advice. Okay. Thank Take you. care, Greg. All right. Bye. Bye. Now. Home improvement. Greg. Greg uh, shows here on the board is in Springfield, Illinois. Thanks for calling, Greg. Thank you. All right. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement, KMOX. We are live and lively here. Uh, We're going to take a short pause for this and come back for more on University of KMOX right here. And phone lines are open, 314-436-7900. Take a short pause and come back for more after this. This is the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Sponsored by Reinhold Flooring. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Okay, welcome back. Home Improvement, stay tuned. Top of the hour, 1 o'clock, brings up your retirement professionals next here on KMOX. After that, 2 o'clock, the business of family business. Right now, it is the business of the KMOX Home Improvement Show with me specifically answering your questions, helping you out however best I can. Uh, So, uh, important things. Uh, Greg called just a minute ago uh, and uh, had a front porch pulling away from the house, small, four by two two feet, two and a half feet. Um, The way those homes are built, especially in the 1960s, typically it would be a brick veneer house um, if it were brick at all. So he mentioned there's brick on part of it. Oftentimes it could be half brick wall on the front. The point being is that the foundation is poured, the brick is laid up, and then the porch can be uh, poured right next to that brick by the front door. Well, 
that two-foot overdig, the area around that concrete foundation when the house was built in the 60s, uh, soil expands to 1.7. So one cubic feet of soil, so 12 inches by 12 inches of 12 inches of undisturbed soil down there for eons. We dig it up to put in a foundation. So that one cubic foot of soil is now 1.7 cubic feet because we fluffed it all up. It's now full of air pockets in between that soil. So it's fluffy and very porous, has a lot of air and places where water can get to it. Well, the point being that over the next 10 years, uh, we pour that concrete, you know, within the first year, uh, generally within months of building that house. So we now have the front porch or porch stoop or the landing right there. Uh, Old school way, and this is typically, and maybe in the 60s, the step up underneath the door could also be part of that monopore or one piece of concrete, one pour, monopore, one piece to where the slab is there, then the riser is also concrete, and then the thing that the door sits on or the threshold is mounted on, that's also that one piece of concrete. Well, it kind of stays put because that that amount is poured on top of the concrete foundation. So the front porch and the foundation are kind of stuck together. When we don't do this and we just put a slab down there, just a four foot by two foot slab, it's moving around on this fluffy, disturbed 1.7 cubic foot soil. And as that soil or overdig or the space that was dug too big to allow man men to get in, the concrete foundation guys to get down there and work in that trench, uh, that area, now we push the soil back in. That's all 1.7 cubic foot soil. That's a bunch of fluffy, air-filled, porous, water-laden soil. So water gets, so that's where it takes a while for that soil to settle. As it settles, it drops down in the trench. As it drops down in the trench, that four by two foot slab moves as well, usually tries to settle. So you can wind up with that slab poured, oh, eight inches below the front door sill. Perfect. So it's a nice, comfortable step. Two years later, could be nine and a half inches down because it sunk an inch and a half because that 1.7 cubic foot soil is now 1.5 cubic foot soil because it's starting to settle back down and be compacted. And that's where compacting the soil in the overdig is important. But you can't really get in there and, you know, put like a high lift or a big tractor in there because if you drop that track in that much weight, it'll literally lever and push over the brand new concrete wall. So there are a lot of horror stories and and foundation mishaps that come from trying to compact that soil. Uh, And it's really green. It's brand new concrete, so it hasn't hit its strength yet. So it's pretty green, soft, easy to crack. Uh, Anyway, the point being is that concrete slab actually settles and moves. Uh, Then uh, later on, we started putting pockets in the brick. So we would lay up the brick and we would leave a brick or two out. So there's a hole in the brick so that we could pour that concrete and put the porch slab literally with a pin of new cement as we would pour that slab and it would sit on top of the concrete in there or the concrete foundation so it would be kind of integral and it wouldn't settle it wouldn't move Uh, anyway the long and the short of it is is uh you know with this slab that greg was describing it's probably not connected or attached or interfaced with the foundation at all which is very good for for termites because now you have a wall and it's pretty well sealed up 
termites aren't going to come in because the weak part is we would tooth this new slab in, but we had to kind of fill it all up with asphalt cement and treat it almost like a roof to keep the termites from finding their way in 20, 30 years later. So like I said, everything has a consequence, not all of them good. So toothing this in was a really good thing for the slab, would keep it from moving. Long and the short of it is, Greg is dealing now with that slab that slid away from the house an inch, not uncommon. Uh, con- there are large porches that are you know 40 feet long by 6 feet deep, and they're uh, slipped away. So keep in mind, these are all things that normally happen. Um, anyway, uh, also, now blower door tests. So... I promised Mike I would explain a little bit of that. I've got a few more seconds here. Uh, the point is, is they started blower door tests, and then they uh, basically they would, you know, it takes hours to do a good blower door test. What happens is the energy utility said, we'll just give this away for free. They stopped doing blower door tests. Anyway, so now it's all done as a walkthrough. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement, next up, your retirement professionals on CAMWAX.